Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And Matt, would you say that if I was to ask you everywhere you'd been yesterday, that that would be a reasonable request? Re um no <laughs> no it really doesn't sound reasonable does it it sounds no. intrusive it sounds yeah. it sounds like i'm being a busybody and i'm being nosy you know even as well as we know each other no i don't want to share with you everywhere that i go <laughs> especially because of as well as we know each other um well the the nice part about where you and i live is that we have a foundational legal doctrine which recognizes our human right to avoid unreasonable search and seizure, mm, to include yeah. information about where we were yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this recognition of this human right is supposed to constrain our federal government from intruding upon this human right. And it is ensconced in the Constitution's Fourth Amendment in the Bill of Rights. Yep, that's what I was about to say. It's a Fourth Amendment, right? There, out, see, you're you're good on your constitutionals. Yeah, well, you know, I don't like to brag, but uh, that's a uh, regular reading in the bathroom for me is the my pocket Excellent. constitution. You know what? <laughs> you know what the Seventh Amendment is. See, here's my thing: is I don't really know the amendments in order. I have I have a reference work on my desk that I keep with me, uh -huh. but it's like I forget what the hell they are, and then every time I reread them, I go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes a <laughs> lot of sense." Yeah, yeah, they they were very forward thinking. Yeah, uh, when, when when these were written, and and they, these the 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 Bill of Rights and the Constitution was written in the 1700s. It's a 250 year old document, and it still has a lot of really good pertinence today. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I think personally, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't even know how forward thinking they were. I think they were reactionary because I think everything in there that they specify. And remember, there was a whole cabal of the founders who said. Don't make a bill of rights. If you start to enumerate rights, then at some point in the future, some government is going to say, well, if it wasn't included in the bill of rights, it must not have been important. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was supposed to be inclusive, not exclusive. Um, yeah. but, but I don't I don't think they were forward thinking. I think they were reacting to each one of those things is something the British had done to them. You know, True. just recently, yes. you know, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, if the oppressive government was doing that to you, we wanted or, or I want to say we they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again. Codify that shit mm -hmm. and, you know, really, really make it clear that that's a no go. Like, realistically, I don't think anyone's exercised their Second Amendment rights or I'm sorry. Their the second, <laughs> sorry, third That's amendment, the, the third the, amendment, the right rights. to bear arms. Third amendment. I don't okay. think anyone's exercised their third amendment rights for, I don't know, 150 years, right? The quartering act is not oh, something right. that's going to happen right. anytime soon, right? Yeah. Being forced to keep soldiers in your house. Yes. That was what yeah. the quartering was. Yep. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's not like we're having a bunch of Huguenot mercenaries that we have to give a bunk bed to. It's, that's just not a thing. Um, but Fourth Amendment does have a huge impact and has had to adapt to technology and worlds and the way that we operate. And it has to have, constantly be reinterpreted for new situations. You know, mm -hmm. famously, some of the recent ones have been 
what about the trunk of a rental car? And mm. what about the trunk of a rental car that was rented by one person and then loaned to another person to drive? Mm, at yeah. what point? At what point does that not become your personal possessions? And as a search, reasonable versus unreasonable, right? Right. Very gray areas. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. Those are, and I can understand those being tough legal questions. In most of those situations, I would defer to the individual and to the the idea that their rights should be sacrosanct. But I also do understand the need for safety and security and that that kind of thing. Sure. Now, data gets really weird because how can you say that you were interested in your security or your privacy if you're transmitting the data beyond your physical space, if you're sending it out into the cloud, how can you mm -hmm. say that this is something that you own or this is something that you don't want searched or seized? And that's where it gets really dicey. And it turns out recently that the U.S. federal government has been finding a really nifty way around prohibitions against warrantless search and seizure that is unreasonable search and seizure. Okay. They've been going to third parties and buying that data from them. Oh, I see where you're going with this. This, ah, because if a third party, like say a Facebook or a Google or a YouTube has been collecting data on you and they put this data on the market, ostensibly for advertisers, Who's to say who is and who isn't an advertiser? In other words, the uh, the data is sellable to any entity that has the money to buy it. Interesting. Once it becomes a commodity, who's yeah. to say what end state or end purpose that right. data is going to be used for? Oh, this is interesting. Okay. All right. So it turns out, uh, thanks to some work uh, by the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, um, they uh started doing their own investigation after in 2020 the wall street journal wrote an article about this practice aclu requested a lot of this information from a lot of federal entities under the freedom of information act they were denied or stonewalled in a lot of cases and then the aclu started doing lawsuits against all those entities as the aclu does right yep mm -hmm. and rightly so and good i'm glad that we have an arm in the in our the common wheel that that acts in those interests. Yep. In response to these lawsuits and those FOIA requests, it turns out that the Department of Homeland Security, um, ICE, that is the Immigration and Customs and what is E for explosives? I have no idea what the fuck it's for. Whatever uh, ICE is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Used to be Customs or, or Border Patrol or whatever the hell it was, right? right? Yeah. Um, uh, used to be INS, I think, but uh, and uh, CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, and uh, U.S. Secret Service, U.S. Coast Guard. They're buying from data broker firms like Ventel and Babel Street, firms which in their marketing material, I shit you not, claim to aggregate up to 1 billion data points per day Ooh. <laughs> about location data of individual people's cell phones. Interesting, okay. And these companies 
when asked, you know, and, and when the investigation was winding. Turns out these companies are claiming, wait, 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 none of this is PII. This mm-hmm. is all just metadata. It's, you know, it's the information that your phone is communicating about itself, not yeah. your identity, not your individual transactions and so forth. Right, right. Uh-huh. Can you can you see any issues that might occur from such a claim? Well, knowing what I know about uh, the tracking capabilities of social media and the Internet in general, it doesn't take very many data points to correlate back to an individual person. And even if you make the case of, well, it was my phone that was here, it wasn't, that doesn't necessarily mean it was me. It's a 99.99% chance it was you, and which is good enough for, for government work, as they say. So, so yeah, even though it's, uh, it's, it's not PII, it's certainly very easy to convert that into PII. And I forget who said it. It was some. It was somebody in the military industrial complex who said, you know, we kill people based on metadata. (laughs) (laughs) Circumstantial information is good enough for a drone strike. You know, and I don't mean to make light of this. This is all horrifying shit. I'm kind of laughing at the fact that, you know, all, all of these. The way they're dressing this up and trying to present it as innocuous or as legitimate is is laughable. I mean, nobody with half a brain would say, well, if this phone number was at my apartment for eight hours last night, and then this phone number went to my place of work every day for the past, you know, 187 days, that's not my phone. That, you, know, you, can't, you can't discern between PII and metadata which in the aggregate can obviously indicate you right which is one of the reasons i don't like privacy laws like the bill of rights when you enumerate what is pii you're kind of given license to everything else saying well it wasn't strictly pii according to the law right 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 by 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 exclusion that means that this this other point is not pii so right we must be able to go grab (laughs) that and do whatever we want with it yeah and interestingly over the past decades our definition of pii even though it wasn't called this say the 40s or the 30s um our, our definition of pii has has greatly expanded it used to, you know, the, the technology wasn't there before people realized that we had individual fingerprints. And then all of a sudden we realized, oh, fingerprints are unique. And so that is now a data point. That's PII. Uh, DNA, uh, social security numbers, all these things were, were were discovered at some point. But prior to that, they weren't PII. And so then that begs the question, what in the future is going to be considered yeah. PII? What because, do we have now that we right. haven't even thought of, you yeah. know? Yeah. When 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 we finally get those handheld bloodhound detectors that can track your scent of where you were <laughs> with, with a Ooh. high degree of accuracy uh-huh. weeks after you'd been in that location. Yikes. <laughs> you know, what is that going to mean for the makers of Axe body spray and, you know, bleach, <laughs> you know? But yeah, if you, if, if you codify, okay, well, yeah, your, your individual pheromone scent is not PII as we sit here today. Who's to say that's in six months or a year from now? Uh, oh gosh, we need to reclassify this. This is yep. definitely PII. Yeah, and then the by that point, the cat's been out of the bag for quite some time. Yeah, and okay, so you do a lot of work, not necessarily with law enforcement. I know you do some, and you're kind of a co-located practitioner, 
but you do work in the legal community. So you kind of understand how the rules of evidence work and all that. Mm -hmm. What's the big issue about federal law enforcers getting access to this metadata? It's not necessarily that this stuff could be used as circumstantial evidence in testimony in prosecution. It's mm -hmm. that this stuff opens the door to probable cause and right. then allows right. them to eliminate other suspects and focus on you. And, th right. and so, so if your phone number is in this location for three times and that's where the bank robbery ends up being, mm -hmm. now they're allowed to start the process to go get the warrants to do the deep dive into you just based on the proximity of your phone. And you could have made the mm -hmm. argument, well, that's not my phone. You know, my, somebody else had my phone. I let my kid borrow my phone or my phone got stolen or whatever. But, sure. but that's after the door's already been cracked when that gave them the ability to go and investigate you, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, uh, you know, the, the, the trope of being pulled over in your car while you're driving. And um, the cop does not have a warrant to search your vehicle because he just pulled you over for, let's say, speeding or for running a red light. But in the process of walking up to your driver's window, he was able to look through the windows and see that you had uh, uh, drugs in the back, for instance, or when you rolled down a the rocket window, launcher. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, because <laughs> that's just a little more obvious than drugs. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. right. Right. Or they can say, "Well, I smelled alcohol on your breath," or "I smelled marijuana smoke." Well, now they have probable cause, and now all of a sudden the door is open because of the subjective claim on the on, on the part of the officer who was looking at it. Whereas if the cop had never pulled you over in the first place. He would have no reason at all to just stop you randomly and, and go through your stuff. So, yeah, so you, you, I see exactly what you're saying. You can you can build a circumstantial case without even really caring whether the circumstances are, will ever stand up in court because you're using that to actually go get the actual stuff that you want, which is built upon the probable cause. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm thinking here, too. And, and I think the issue with it is it casts a very wide net. and. Mm -hmm. I could almost see where targeted applications of this would make sense as a law enforcement tool in a fair and just world that recognizes individual human rights. Because if there's a specific case, here's where the bank robbery was. The cell tower is here. I want to get the data from this cell tower at this location during this time frame. That's fair. I think that's okay. And maybe even going a week back to see if the robbers were surveilling the place prior to committing the crime. That I can understand. I'm okay with that. It's the fact that they're just slurping everything up. Yep. And then deciding, okay, now what do we want to investigate? Which crimes right. might have happened in this area? Now we've got this big treasure trove we can just start sifting through. That, to me, gets way too close to exactly what you were saying. The random stops to search for shit. Yep. And... You know, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, if you're not guilty of anything, why do you even care about a random? Sure, it's inconvenient. <laughs> it's inconvenient, but that's the uh -huh. price you pay for a safe society, right? Right. What's the downside? What do you see as the downside to the, the stop and frisk and the random search and the DUI checkpoints? What's, what's the problem there from your perspective? Well uh, you know, one of the biggest arguments against it is always that it's never really truly random. It's always targeted in some way on, you know, whether consciously or unconsciously, you're always uh, looking for some other reason to, to do it against this person and not against that person. And I think that was the Supreme Court decision eventually was all of these things are every single time 
in the in the collective statistically used as offensive weapons against uh targets of opportunity and minority groups right it's right. all it's it it never becomes evenly distributed it's never statistically exactly. normalized right yep um on top of that the the other issue that i have is americans commit on average four federal offenses per day <laughs> not intentionally I hadn't heard this statistic. Okay, <laughs> there's a great there's a great book, and it's either called Four Felonies a Day or Three Felonies a Day. Uh -huh. Great, great book, and I highly recommend everybody read it. We just have such a large <laughs> U.S. code. We have such a large federal law body that inadvertently we're breaking these laws all the time. If someone sure. really, you know, if a prosecutor wanted to get at Matt Snotty. The prosecutor could pick up the whole tome of all the U.S. titles and go through and find the thing that, that right. they want to get you on. Yeah, yeah. And that's the issue, I think, of having such a wide net and a deep trove. It means that with that breadth of law and with that amount of data, at any point, any one of us could become a target. Mm -hmm. Even though most of us are just having an innocuous life. Most of us aren't, you know, robbing banks. Right. Yeah. This whole um, uh, concept of basically predictive policing rather than reactive policing really kind of started after 9-11, uh, the, uh, the terrorist attacks in New York City, where the, all the questions came up of how much did the government know about th these terrorists and what they were planning to do and could we have prevented it? And so it became this whole thing of can we prevent crimes from happening, which then led down this path that we're still on 22 years, 21 years later where we're trying to vacuum up vast amounts of data and figure out what people are wanting to do. You're trying to find the terrorists. You know, you're trying to find 20 terrorists in a sea of 350 million Americans, you know, finding it through whatever data points, whatever things that they can, they can figure out. So, you know, to your point, um, yeah, the reactive policing, the detective work after a crime's already taken, taken place, that I think a lot of people, uh, particularly Americans, think that uh, that's that's fine and that's normal. The predictive policing, though, where they're just getting everybody's data and then, okay, let's sift it through this sieve and this sieve and this sieve and let's run it against this. Oh, all of a sudden we've got 100 people that look like they're possibly doing something. Let's go knock on their door. Uh, I, and I think you're actually being very benevolent. I, I don't uh, think that this was a new occurrence after 9-11. Well, okay, yeah. I, I look at some of the other policing efforts prior to that. I, I look at COINTELPRO from mm -hmm. the 70s. I look at um, the Amadou Diallo case where you had the We Own the Night cop squad in New York City of the detectives who were the, you know, the the aggressive go out and find the crime kind of uh, uh, attempt at policing. Mm -hmm. I think all of those, I think predictive might have been a, a very pleasant term to associate with it. <laughs> I, I think I think it was very aggressive policing. And and I think when yeah. you when you when you create a circumstance where the cops are looking for crime, then they're gonna you, run into, you run into all sorts of the abuses that could potentially occur. And and not because necessarily cops are evil, but because human nature would dictate that. That's that's how it goes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, so I don't think there's a new phenomenon. I just think what we're doing is in allowing these things to occur, we're giving a deep, deep tool to an entity that it could, and it's like having that, and I like dogs, I like all kinds of dogs, 
but it's like having the attack dog minding your toddler. Mm. That could be that could be really great when you're afraid of kidnappers and and people coming to steal the toddler and the dog is well fed and happy. <laughs> but at any moment, you know, it's still a dog and it's right. dogs do what dogs do. And you don't know what's going to when it gets bit by, you know, a uh, uh, a mouse or an insect while it's sitting right next to the toddler, where's it going to snap yeah. at, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Or if the toddler grabs its ear or pulls its tail or something like that, then yeah. That Which I don't blame the toddler for either because the uh -huh. toddler's just being a toddler. Yeah. But toddler's just it, being yeah. a toddler. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. On this same note, carrying warrantless search and seizure another step. You're familiar with ring doorbells, I take it? Oh, Yes. Yeah, uh, we we don't have any in our house, but we have one of their competitors. We have we use uh, Arlo at our house. Okay. But yes, very familiar. Okay, with. and you enjoy it, I'm sure. It's great benefit. It's a nice little flexibility thing. Tells us every time our nine year old goes and raids the kitchen at three a.m. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which which is a nearly nightly basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, can't blame a nine year old for doing what a nine year old does. Um, just wait till they turn fourteen. That gets even. Then they eat more. Um, <laughs> So I don't know if you're familiar with Ring's terms of service. Amazon owns Ring. Ring is a doorbell with a camera for those who aren't familiar. And you can monitor as the owner of the Ring doorbell, you can monitor it from any, I think, any platform, right? As long as you have yeah, the Ring. Yeah. 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 As long as you have the app, yeah, you can be anywhere in the world and see what's going on in front of your camera, wherever that camera is in your house or wherever. And usually it has microphone and stuff, too. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, two-way communication. Yep. Yeah. It'll even um, send an alarm. It'll, yeah, do all kinds of neat stuff. Back to the so, IoT things. It's very useful. <laughs> yes, and you end up finding new applications for it once yeah. you start using it as a tool, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, even beyond what it's marketed as. Well, there's another application for Ring doorbells. Uh, Amazon's terms of service say we will not share this data with law enforcement except under circumstances where lives are at stake, mm -hmm. imminent threat. So okay. for instance, if the cops say, you know, we have uh, a suspected murderer, someone just shot up a mall in this neighborhood and we suspect they're running up this street. Could you please give us the video feeds of the door, the ring doorbells on this street, right? Sure, yep. Um, Turns out that that's not quite the case, even though the terms of service say that. I read this headline. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Go ahead. Do tell. Do tell. Oh, uh, well, I mean, the story was um, Ring has not been requiring much in, in, of anything other than a polite request from law enforcement to just turn over uh, data. So no warrant required, um, not even uh, a form filled out. Just uh, someone from a police department says, hey, we want to see the videos from... Uh, the cameras on this this street, for instance, and Ring said, yep, sure, here you go. Here's your yep. videos. Thanks. Uh, let, let us know if you need anything else. And there's actually a portal that law enforcement entities can go to, submit their claim, say, click, it's an emergency, and Amazon, <laughs> Amazon takes that as a claim of good faith and turns over the data. Yep. No possible can, way that could be abused at all. I can totally understand Amazon's position on this. Uh -huh. Because do you want to be the technology or the platform that is going to be accused of letting a Kitty Genovese situation take place 
and not have provided law enforcement with that information. I get that. I totally yes. get that. Yes. On the flip side, just allowing anybody who's got a badge number to make that claim and get that data, that may be tilting too far in the other direction. You know? Right. Because as with any career path, um, lots of people that follow any given career are very good people, very honest, very moral, very ethical, but it's not a hundred percent. And that applies to the career path of being law enforcement as well. And if you I'd have... even go further than that, I go for, I'd say even the moral and ethical practitioners of law enforcement can get caught up in a moment. Mm, and if yeah. the tool is available, there's no reason not to use the tool. Yep. So, yep. so even if they're operating in good faith, it's still a shortcut, you know? Um, it, it just is, and that's yep. not a good thing for justice, you know. Um, it, and and I forget again who said this, but uh, we have a name for countries where the job of law enforcement is easy. We call them police states, <laughs> and we don't yeah. want to be a police state, right? I right, mean, yes. Right. The job of law enforcement is supposed to be difficult. And that might mean that some criminals get away with their crimes. It might mean that some people go unpunished. But that's right. kind of the trade-off you have with individual freedoms, too. Right. Uh, you walk there's, that balancing line. Yeah, there's supposed to be a, a system of checks and balances on any kind of power, and in particular, uh, law enforcement power. The, the, there are supposed to be, and one of the checks and balances on that is things like warrants, where you have to go and make your case before a judge to be it. And the judge has to say, okay, you are allowed to uh you know uh, seize this or or do this search or something like that that's all out the window there's there's no more no no check or balance in place when the manufacturer of these devices says yeah here's your portal sign up click it's an emergency and here you go and, and you know, i'll go one one step further to the insult beyond our our human rights uh that may be being abused um we're paying for the doorbell service right right you know, I, i'm yeah. paying for the thing to snoop on my neighborhood to feed the information to law enforcement that's, exactly that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way it'd be one thing even if the cops were setting up cameras in my neighborhood at least it came out of the cop budget well i guess i'm still paying for that too aren't <laughs> yeah, i you're as a taxpayer yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Either way but you yeah, cut yeah. it this doesn't seem right you know um, um, yeah you're, you're paying a monthly subscription in addition to the cost of the hardware you took the time to set it all up and and now you got a leech Hopping on your camera and, and, and looking at, at what it looks at. Yeah, screw yeah. you. No, this is mine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Come to me. Ask me for my warrant and I'll give it to you. know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, oh, doggone it. I, was, I just had something at the tip of my head and I, it has well, slipped. And, and, and I, would, I would go, I would assume that also the homeowner or the owner of the camera gets no notification that the police Correct. have accessed it. And, Correct. At all. So Correct. if, for instance, uh, you know, it's one thing if you have these cameras set up and they're on the, the outside of your house, they're pointed at your driveway, your sidewalk, public areas. Okay, that's one thing. Not everybody does that. Sometimes. What if have... it's your 17-year-old daughter sunbathing in the backyard? True. Yeah. Or, or, or even worse, what if it's somewhere inside your house and, and there are, um, your 17-year-old daughter is walking around perfectly within her rights and in a private area doing private things? police officers all of a sudden have access to this. Yes, agreed. And now Amazon's claim is that over the last calendar year, they only fulfilled 11 of these claims. 
Mm, uh, these, okay, uh, right. these requests. That's, that's supposed to make me feel good. Okay. <laughs> 11 times. I, I, I guess at least it's not 1,100 times, <laughs> but still that's 11 times too many. Could have been worse, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, understanding and balancing the at least the three stakeholders involved, law enforcers who are tasked with protecting the society, uh, Amazon, which does not want to be seen as a bad participant in the community by not aiding law enforcement when lives or, or safety is at stake, and the privacy of individuals and freedom uh, of, uh, you know, freedom of association, for all of our freedoms. Balancing those three things, I could see a better approach here. The way AOL used to do it, and the way I think Facebook does it now, makes sense to me. They have a portal for law enforcement, for law enforcement to put forth the request, but it's only for 72 hours, that request is only a hold of the data. Mm, okay. AOL, Facebook promised to not delete the data. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how I work, it's called a legal hold. Legal so hold you, notice. You, yes. You're legally not allowed to delete this data in the event that it needs to be used. Maybe it won't be used, but if it is, it's, it's there. It's similar to a legal hold. Legal hold actually does have ramifications that uh, automatically gives protections to that data at that mm -hmm. moment. Um, this was just, this was a courtesy hold. Okay. It, it was their corporate policy, not a rule of evidence being applied against them. And what, what that 72 hours did is it gave the law enforcer the opportunity to now go to a judge, write up the whole um, justification for getting access to that data, and then the judge could make the determination of whether that was sufficient rationale to go and get the data. And then the cop would have to go back a second time, say, here is the warrant or the search mm -hmm. and seizure notice. Now give us the data. And that covered yeah. everybody's bases. I think that yep. weighed all three of the, the perspectives evenly. The one thing it doesn't do is address exigency. Right. If, if you need real-time data. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If the shooter's on the front step right now, you yeah, know. Three days from now, you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, well, it's great for prosecuting that person after the fact, but it doesn't yeah. save anyone from the shooter that night. Right. And, and that's, and that I understand is what, what the cops are saying as the reason for these things. That's, that's mm -hmm. where they want to go. I don't know. I have a tough time with that one. Like you say, there, there's predictive policing that is preventing future crime. There's real time policing reacting to a threat. And then there's ex post facto policing, punishing someone for something they've done already. Right. And up until now, you know, the last 20, 30 years, it's always been that reactive, okay, a crime occurred, we investigate the crime, we prosecute the crime, bad guy goes away. Um, having this, this real-time ability is something that's really new. And it really needs to be thought, by, by real-time, I mean accessing things like, you know, uh, live real-time cameras and stuff like that, um, really needs to be thought out, I think, a little bit more. And, you know, I, I don't know, I, I would never say I have the answer to it or, or how to do it correctly, but but someone out there, <laughs> I'm sure someone is thinking about it. But, um, yeah, from this article, or from the headline, um, yeah, Amazon and its Ring products are taking one very strong stance, which is that yeah, we we will give this access without any real uh, requirement of proving that you need it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I have trouble with that, 
And, and I do understand with the lack of real-time enforcement, that may mean that people come to harm and we won't be able to use that except as the ex post, ex post facto prosecution. I get that. I get that. I think I'm just willing to make that trade. Um, and I say that as a potential victim of crime, you know, I, sure. I, I'm willing to take that risk. Uh, to, I don't mean to put too fine a point on it, but the, the other video that became available last week was from the Uvalde police response to the school. Yep. And I don't know if you've looked at the thing. I didn't know, but I, I, again, I saw that it was available. Uh, yeah. It's 40 well, minutes of them standing in the hallway. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's very frustrating to watch that because you know that at the end of that hallway, there's a gunman in a room with children killing people. Yes. And as much as I want to sit here and say, yeah, I want to balance, you know, freedom and liberty and whatever, I also want to see them swing into action when the gunman, <laughs> when the gunman is 70 feet away, you know? I right. Mean, there, there's yeah. a time to respond. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough issue, too. Uh, right. And, and I think that the, the prevalence of, of mass shootings, school shootings, uh, I, I think that that's a uh, part of what's probably pushing some of this um, from law enforcement. But at the same time, as citizens, we also have the right to say, OK, if, if we're going to not make a ruckus about you guys looking at our ring camera videos in real time, you've also got to act <laughs> and do do so. Do what you were <laughs> What if we're expecting yeah. you to do to, to stop the thing from happening that you're looking at on the camera? Yeah, yeah. And and I, I think one of the more frustrating things, and maybe we should do a whole episode about school shootings and, and particularly about Uvalde in, in particular, um, the fact that they were detaining parents who are willing to go into the school yeah, um, while the police were also not acting. Right. You can't have it both ways, you know, it's, you got to either respond to the threat because we've tasked you to do that and we've given up our arrest authority as individuals to you, the police officers, expecting you to go and do that, to put yourself right. at risk and to go and do the tough thing. Um, and if you're not going to do that, well, then get out of the way and we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and we got to figure out where that happy balance of that policy is. Uh, I don't have kids, uh, but I was a teacher. I know you do have kids. Um I think that may be worth doing an episode in the future and talk about approaches we might want to take. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I think we agree. Um, we don't want British troops quartered in our homes. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> and we don't want federal law enforcement spending our tax dollars to purchase bulk data that mm -hmm. could theoretically be used against us at some future date because we violated U.S. title whatever, whatever, and we were selling goat's milk on a Tuesday when we shouldn't. It, um, completely aside, I know we're wrapping this up, but uh, how much did they pay for the, the data? Did you get any information on how much they were spending on this uh, metadata from these uh, ad companies? It, it was it was it was more than I million. It was millions. It was literally millions. millions. Yeah. So millions of it, taxpayer it more, dollars. It was more than I would want to part with in a year. How's that? 
because that does make a difference. If they if if, if they bought a hundred dollars worth of metadata, okay, uh, that, all right, that they, they probably saved a hundred dollars worth of policing time and doing that. But if it's millions, wow, that's uh, that's that's a big deal. Hmm. Yeah, a million here, a million there. It starts to add up. It starts to add up. <laughs> talking as about real one, money. As one person put it, many years again, I can never remember who these quotes belong to. Um, <laughs> but there is a group. Uh, the ACLU is supporting pending legislation here in the U. And I'm never a fan of regulation, but uh, the the proposed legislation is called the Fourth Amendment is not for sale Act, mm. which would restrict federal would clarify the Fourth Amendment against uh, the unreasonable search and seizure by the federal government uh, mm -hmm. in disallowing them to go to third parties to grab data that they should have to go and get a warrant for. Mm. Um, okay, interesting. And that'll be interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, because there's a lot of nuances there. I can see that uh, it's going to be very tough to to put something in, in verbiage that will not be able to be skirted around or or twisted or have loopholes in it or anything. Or worse, have those unintended consequences that always result from these situations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they come around to bite us in the ass, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> with that said, with that said, this uh, this has been another episode. Um, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. <laughs>